When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, my friends, and welcome to another episode of Terror Radio Podcast, where we are dedicated in bringing you the best of horror and thriller, old-time radio broadcasts, as well as original stories. This is your host, Keith, a.k.a. The Radio Show Nerd, and if this is your first time listening to this podcast, then welcome, and for my dedicated followers, love y'all. Thank you for everything. Now, this episode I call Twice the Suspense, meaning I'm giving you a double dose of the all-time popular radio series, Suspense. So, without further ado, this is Terror Radio. The two radio plays featured tonight are entitled The Whole Town's Sleeping, starring the great Agnes Moorhead, and after that, Ghost Hunt, which features Ralph Edwards, known for hosting the popular show This Is Your Life. Now, The Whole Town Sleeping is an adaptation from a short story written by famed author Ray Bradbury. And again, as I said, it stars the lady of suspense, or as they called her, the first lady of suspense, the great Agnes Moorhead. And it's narrated by William Conrad. Now, this episode first debuted on August 31st. 1958 but it actually is a second the second recording of it the first recording was done on June 14th in 1955 William Conrad was narrator but Jeanette Nolan played the title role this is I love this one very 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 suspenseful (laughs) no pun intended so You know the drill. Sit back, turn down the lights, and listen to The Whole Town's Sleeping. Suspense. And the producer of radio's outstanding theater of thrills, the master of mystery and adventure, William N. Robeson. A small Midwestern town lying asleep in the moonlight of midnight. Could anything be more familiar, more peaceful, more safe? Certainly not. Unless Ray Bradbury is writing about it. For his is a typewriter of terror. And once again, it has pounded out a tale not only calculated to keep you in suspense, but likely to cost you a night or two of sleep. Listen. Listen, then, as Miss Agnes Moorhead stars in The Whole Town's Sleeping... 
which begins in just a moment. How does our nation honor heroism? One way is to award the Soldier's Medal, a bronze octagon on which is displayed an eagle standing between two groups of stars. The medal is suspended from a blue ribbon with 13 narrow stripes in the center, seven white and six red. One of the newest and least known of all the American decorations, the Soldier's Medal, authorized in 1926, is bestowed for heroism not involving actual conflict with an armed enemy. There are many forms of gallantry in addition to those demonstrated in battle. The Soldier's Medal was conceived to honor those soldiers who, in non-combat situations, perform bravely and at great peril to themselves, men who serve as an inspiration to others. The Soldier's Medal holds an important place among America's awards for heroism. And now... The Whole Town Sleeping, starring Agnes Moorhead. A tale well calculated to keep you in... Suspense. It was a warm summer night in the middle of Illinois country. The little town was deep, far away from everything. Kept to itself by a river and a forest and a ravine. In the town, the sidewalks were still scorched. The stores were closing and the streets were turning dark. Screen doors whined their springs and banged. And there was the sound of Grandma Hanlon's hammock creaking across the street. On her solitary porch, Lavinia Neds, age 37, very straight and slim, sat waiting. Here I am, Lavinia. Lavinia turned. There was Francine at the bottom porch step. All in snow white. I won't be a minute, Francine. I just have to lock the door. All right. I do like your dress, dear. Why, thank you, Francine. You look so well in that color. I'm afraid I can never wear it. It makes me look sallow. Oh, no, it doesn't. I'm sure it doesn't. Of course, I've always loved you in white. <laughs> Good evening, ladies. Good evening, Mrs. Hanlon. Good evening. Well, where are you ladies going all dressed up so pretty? To the movies, Mrs. Hanlon. It's William Holden tonight. <laughs> you won't catch me out on a night like this. Not with the lonely one strangling women. Oh. Lock myself in with my gun. That's what I'm going to do. Well, I wouldn't worry, Mrs. Hanlon. Oh, you wouldn't, wouldn't you? What about Eliza Ramsell? You think she's not worrying? I'll lock myself in with a gun. That's what you ladies should do. Oh, she's so silly. She's a silly old woman. Hasn't got anything better to do than scare herself with rumors and gossip. Well, just the same. Hattie McDowell was killed a month ago. And Roberta Ferry the month before. And now Eliza Ramsell disappeared. Eliza Ramsell walked off with a traveling salesman, if you ask me. But the others... Oh, stank. Oh, Francine. They reached the edge of the ravine that cut the town in two. Stood there. Behind them were the lighted houses. Ahead, deepness, moistness, fireflies and dark. The ravine had to be crossed to reach the movies. Deep and black as it cut through the hill. Then a creaking bridge to cross over the stream. 
and then 113 steps up the steep and brambled bank to the other side. The lady stood there looking down. I just hate to think of you coming back alone tonight, Lavinia. Oh, Bosh. I do wish you didn't live on this side of town. Don't you get lonely living by yourself in that house? Oh, maids love to live alone. Come on, we'll take the shortcut. I'm afraid even in the dusk. The ravine scares me. Oh, come on. Don't be so silly. I'll hold your hand. Lavinia, cool as mint ice cream, took her friend's arm and led her down the dark winding path into the cricket warmth and frog sound and mosquito-delicate silence. Let's run, Lavinia. Please. No, no, why should we? If Lavinia hadn't turned her head just then, she wouldn't have seen it. But she did turn her head, and it was there. Back among a clump of bushes, half hidden but laid out as if she'd put herself there to enjoy the soft stars, lay Eliza Ramsell. Her face moon-freckled, her eyes like white marble. Then Francine saw it, too. And the women stood on the path for a frozen second, not believing what they saw. In a moment, we continue with the second act of... Suspense. Another visit with Joe and Daphne Forsythe. Joe? Yeah, Daphne? You think I should go on a diet? No. But I'm adding weight. Only in the right places. Flatterer. Seriously, if I put on any more pounds, I'll be out of style. What style? The current one. It calls for that slim, chic look. The beanpole look, you mean. Boy, I don't get it. Here we are, citizens of the healthiest country on earth, with hundreds of different kinds of good food. And what are Americans doing? They're starving themselves. Well, it's fashionable. I don't want you to lose interest in my figure. Don't worry, I won't. Say, speaking of that, look at this. Here's a figure with real interest. Oh? $45 billion. It says here in the paper that the investment in United States savings bonds has reached more than $45 billion. What do you think of that figure? Mmm, that's a lot of money. And just think, every $3 invested in bonds pays back 4 That's real interest for you. I know. And every savings bond is guaranteed by the government. Right. Oh, Joe, I wish you cared about my figure the way you do about those bonds you buy every payday. Honey, I've got great interest in both. Well, you just see that you stay that way. And now, starring Agnes Moorhead, act two of The Whole Town Sleeping. And then the police came and dotted their flashlights around in the shadows of the ravine. And Lavinia held on tightly to the shuddering Francine. And the night grew toward 8.30. You didn't move her, ladies? No, no, of course not. Oh, no, we didn't touch her. How could we? And you didn't hear anything unusual? No, no, nothing. It's... it's the the lonely one, isn't it? The lonely one did it, didn't he? I couldn't say, ma'am. We knew her, you know. She was a friend of ours. I'm sorry, that's too bad. I'll have one of my men walk you across the ravine. Oh, that that won't be necessary. Thank you very much. We'll be all right. Lavinia? Come along, dear. I've never seen a dead person before. Come on. Come on. It's only a little after 8.30. We'll pick up Helen and get on to the show. The show? 
Nathaniel, you don't mean Of it. course I do. We've got to forget about this. There's no good brooding about it. Now, if we hurry, we won't miss too much of the first feature. Well, I thought you'd never come. You're an hour late. Well, Helen, you see... Someone found Eliza Ramsell dead in the ravine. Oh. Oh, no. Who found her? Well, we don't know. How awful. Oh, I, I don't think we'd better go to the show tonight. Oh, of course we will. It's the last showing today, and I wouldn't miss William Holden for the world. Besides, the lonely one can't kill three ladies all at once, and... and... Anyway, it's too soon. The murders come a month separated. Come along, Helen. Well, all right. I I'll get a sweater. Wait for me. Why didn't you tell her about us finding Eliza? Well, why upset her? Time enough tomorrow. Tonight we're going to the show, so let's not talk about it anymore. Enough's enough. The ladies walked downtown stopped at the drugstore, which was a few doors from the theater. Lavinia bought a quarter's worth of green mint chews, and the druggist dropped the mints into a sack with a silver shovel. You looked mighty cool this noon, Miss Lavinia, when you was in. So cool and nice, somebody asked after you. Oh? Man sitting at the counter. He watched you walk out, and he says to me, Hey, who's that? Just like that, he says it. <laughs> Why, that's... Lavinia Nebs, prettiest maiden lady in town, I says. Beautiful, so beautiful, he says. Where she lived. You didn't... You, you didn't give him her address. Well, now, I didn't give him the exact address. I said over on uh, Park Street, near the ravine. Hope you didn't mind. Well, that settles it. We're going straight home. That man asking for you, Lavinia, you're next. You want to be dead in that ravine? Oh, nonsense. I'm not going to miss the movie. You two can do what you want. I'm going. In the end, they all went to the show. Lavinia was like that. Cool, self-possessed, and persuasive. And when they came out of the show, the streets were midnight clean and empty as they walked Francine home. Lavinia, Helen, uh, stay here with me tonight. It, it's late. Mrs. Murdoch has an extra room. No, thanks. I don't sleep well away from my own bed. Please, Lavinia, please. I promise I'll call you the very minute I get home. Will you? Yes. Will you really? Yes, I promise. Now, Helen, you make a promise to call you, too. I will. Well, good night. Good night. And please, be careful. Now, I'll walk you home, Helen. <laughs> I don't suppose it's any use asking you to stay with me, Lavinia. There's no reason for me to. You've certainly acted strangely all evening. I'm just not afraid, that's all. And anyway, the lonely one wouldn't be around. Not now, with the police discovering Eliza's body and all. Oh, I, I feel so guilty. I'll be drinking a cup of coffee just about the time you get to the ravine. Oh, oh that awful bridge in the dark. Oh... You will call us the minute you get home, won't you? I won't sleep a wink if you don't. I promise you I'll call. Now, good night. Good night. 
Lavinia Nebs walked down the midnight street, down the late summer silence. She saw the houses with their dark windows, and far away she heard a dog barking. She thought to herself, In five minutes, I'll be safe home. In five minutes, I'll be phoning Francine and Helen. They're so silly. Like old hens. <laughs> old, I'm older than either of them. I... She heard the voice singing away among the trees and she walked a little faster. And then coming down the street toward her in the dimming moonlight was a man. Well, look who's here. Uh, what a time of night for you to be out, Miss Nebs. Officer Kennedy. Oh, I'm so glad it's you. Anything wrong, Miss Nebs? No, no, nothing at all. I'm just glad it's you. You know, you shouldn't be out so late. Yes, I know. I've been to the movies. The late show. Well, I'd better see you across the ravine. No, no. Thank you. I can make it fine. Moon's going to be behind the trees. It'll be pretty dark. Well, I'm not afraid of the dark, Mr. Kennedy. Are you sure you'll be all right? Yes, yes, quite sure. Thank you. Uh -huh. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll wait here till you're across. If you need help, just give a yell and I'll come a-running. Oh, thank you. Good night. Good night, Miss Nebs. As Lavinia walked on, she thought... I won't walk in the ravine with any man. How do I know who the lonely one is? He could be anyone. Then the ravine. She stood at the top of the 113 steps that led down the steep brambled bank and across the creaking bridge. Then a hundred yards and up through the black shadows to Park Street and home. Three minutes from now, I'll be putting my key in the house door. Nothing can happen. Nothing. And she started down the dark black steps into the deep ravine night, counting as she went. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. In a moment, we continue with the third act of... Suspense. We have together... Ample capacity in freedom to defend freedom. This is NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. As in many other complex activities, in NATO too, it's the little things that count. For instance, spare parts for the armed forces equipment of NATO countries. This complex problem is handled by the NATO Supply Center at Châteauroux, France, which assists NATO countries in providing a common system for supply of spare parts. The United States of America is a part of NATO. You should be aware of and alert to the programs and objectives of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. And now, starring Agnes Moorhead, Act Three of The Whole Town Sleeping. Lavinia went down the steps, 15, counting as she went. 16, the ravine 17, was deep, 18, and the world was gone, 19, the safe world of people and men. The locked doors, the town, the drugstore, theater, the lights, everything was gone. Only the ravine existed and lived, black and huge about it. 31, 32, 33, 34, nothing's happened. Has it? No one around? Is there? Forty. Forty-one. Forty-two. 
44. Remember? Remember that old ghost story you told each other when you were children? About the dark man coming into your house and you upstairs in bed? And now he's at the first step coming up to your room. Now he's at the second step. Now he's at the third and fourth and the fifth step. How you laugh and scream to that story. And now the horrid man is at the twelfth step, opening your door. And now he's standing by your bed. There at the bottom of the steps is a man. He was waiting there. Oh. oh, there's nothing. It's empty. Nothing. There's nothing on the bridge. Oh, you fool. That story I told myself. How silly. Shall I call Mr. Kennedy? Did he hear me scream? Or did I scream? Maybe I only thought I did. He didn't hear me at all. I'll go back up. I'll go to Helen's and sleep there tonight. No, it's 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 near home now. Don't be silly. Wait. Wait, some someone's following me. Someone's on the steps behind me. I don't dare turn around. Every time I take a step, he takes one. Officer, Officer Kennedy, is that you? Is it? The crickets were suddenly still. The crickets were listening. The night was listening to her. Then there was a sound. Only a woodchuck surely beating a hollow log. No, no, it was Lavinia Nebs. It was most surely the heart of Lavinia Nebs. And she went down the steps faster, faster, running now. Down the steps, plunging faster and faster. Down, down into the pit of the ravine. Out of the way. Cross the bridge. Run. Run, don't turn. Don't look. If you see him... You'll not be able to move. You just run. Up the path between the hills, the top of the path, the street. And even with the light, the fear swirled about her, closing in, pressing. Please. Please. Give me time to get inside and lock the door. And I'll be safe. Oh. Oh, I'm safe. I'm safe at home. I'm safe. I'm safe. Home. I'll never go out again. Oh, it's so good. It's so safe inside. I'm locked and safe inside. I... Wait, the window. There's, There's no one there at all. There's nobody. There was no one following me at all. Nobody running after me. How silly. 
If a man had been following me, he'd have caught me. I can't run as fast as a man. I, I wasn't running from anything except me. The ravine was safer than safe. Oh, oh it's oh, it's nice to be home, though. Home's a really good, warm, safe place. The only... She had just put her hand out to the light switch when she heard it behind her in the blackness. Just a movement. Agnes Moorhead starred in William N. Robeson's production of The Whole Town Sleeping, written by Ray Bradbury, and adapted for suspense by Anthony Ellis. In just a moment, the names of the supporting players and a word about next week's story of suspense. How are your brakes? Not the ones on your car. We're sure you keep those in tip-top working order. But how about your own brakes? Are they in working shape? When you're behind the wheel of your car and you feel that impulse to challenge the legal speed limit, can you stop that impulse on a dime? When a less courteous driver does something downright stupid that may inconvenience you, are you likely to do something twice as foolish just to show him he can't push you around? Or can you say halt to your anger before it leads to an accident? Students of human behavior have discovered that most of the accidents on our highways are the result of emotional immaturity. An adult can control his feelings and concentrate on his goal. Don't let childish attitudes keep you from reaching your destination. When other drivers and traffic regulations annoy you, use the brakes in your head as quickly as you would the ones on your car. Remember, accidents don't have to happen. Supporting Agnes Moorhead and the whole town sleeping were William Conrad, Loreen Tuttle, Paula Winslow, Barney Phillips, and Charlie Lung. Listen. Listen again next week when we return with another tale well calculated to keep you in... Suspense. This is the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service.
now that I got your blood chilled, let's move on to Ghost Hunt, starring Ralph Edwards. And this episode debuted on June 23rd, 1949. So, sit back, definitely turn down the lights, and listen to Ghost Hunt. Now, Autolite and its 60,000 dealers and service stations present... Suspense. Tonight, Autolite brings you Mr. Ralph Edwards in Ghost Hunt, a suspense play produced and directed by Anton M. Leader. Replace worn-out narrow-gap spark plugs with a set of those new wide-gap Autolite resistor spark plugs. Your motor will idle smoother, give better performance on leaner gas mixtures, actually save gas. These winning benefits are all made possible by a newly developed Autolite 10,000-ohm resistor built right into every Autolite resistor spark plug, making practical a wider spark-gap setting. And that's what does the trick. What's more, Autolite resistor spark plugs with this exclusive Autolite resistor have greatly increased electrode life and cut down on radio and television interference. So, folks, see your Autolite dealer and have him replace old, worn-out, narrow-gap spark plugs with a set of the new Autolite resistor spark plugs. Remember, you're always right with Autolite. And also remember, the Autolite suspense show is now on television. Every Tuesday night in many parts of the country. And now... Autolite presents Ralph Edwards in a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. Yeah, didn't that leave you high, huh? Left me feeling treetop tall. That was Louis Armstrong's I Can't Give You Anything But Love. And that's all we have time for on the Hot and Mellow Hour tonight. Yes, 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 this is Smiley Smith, your favorite disc jockey. I hope, I hope, booting the Hot and Mellow Hour home for this evening. I'll be back again tomorrow night, minus the music, but with a little surprise for you. Tomorrow night, Friday night, as you know, is stunt night here at Station WXP. And have I got a stunt for you. Last week, if you remember, I planted my wire recorder in the steam room at a lady's Turkish bath and then let you listen in on the playback, remember? <laughs> well, tonight, as soon as I leave the studio, do you know where I'm going? Hmm? Your friend Smiley is going to spend the night in a haunted house on a spook hunt. You heard me, a spook hunt in a haunted house. I'm bringing a little old wire recorder along with me, and if you tune in tomorrow evening at this time, you'll learn what it's like to spend a night in a haunted house. Ain't that something? <laughs> a real haunted house. No kidding. Four people are known to have committed suicide there. So tune in tomorrow night and share a real thrill with your old pal Smiley, I must be crazy, Smith. Good night. <laughs> Here for a cigar, Mr. Thorpe? I got some cigars in the dash there. No. Well, no reason for you to carry a chip on your shoulder, Mr. Thorpe. Oh, really? Well, I don't like this fool stunt. Well, I don't see it as a fool stunt at all. I really don't. 
I think it's the only way you're going to unload this house. Ordinary selling methods won't work in a case like this. Now, don't forget the reputation saddling this house. Four suicides since 1939. You know what people call it. The death trap. Yes. Yeah. A lot of nonsense. Sure, but try to convince people of that. Anyway, when this disc jockey offered me this chance to kill all the rumors about the death trap... About the property, I just naturally jumped and took him up at it. Especially since it don't cost a cent. You sure about that? I'm not liable for a penny. Not a cent. We're doing him a favor letting him use the place, he said. Thanked me for the chance last night when I drove him out here. So one hand washes the other, as the feller says. He got a chance to pull off a stunt, and the wire recording will prove the people the property is A number one, and we increase the chance of selling the place. Well, as long as it doesn't cost me anything. Not a thing. He's using his own recorder, and I'm paying for the rental of a couple of walkie-talkies he hooked up to it. Well, uh, what about this, uh, Reed? Does he charge anything? He comes gratis, too. Dr. Reed is, uh, uh, it, a uh, psychic investigator. Belongs to a couple of societies that do nothing but hunt ghosts. <laughs> He showed me articles he's written about it in the magazine. Uh-huh. Well, here's the house. Yeah, looks real nice in the sunshine, don't it? Yeah, man, smell that sea breeze. You don't have to sell me. Well, let them know we're here. <laughs> Probably asleep up all night and everything. Why don't they come out? You think they've gone? Well, I told them last night I'd pick them up around 11. Uh, Smith! Smith! Hey, Smiley! Dr. Reed! Yeah, fast asleep, I guess. We better go in and wake him up. They may have taken the bus back to town. Oh, no, no. It's a two-mile hike to the main highway. Uh, Smith! Hey, uh, Smiley. Where are you? Wake up. You don't suppose, uh, do you? Oh, no, no. Uh, Smith? Uh, Dr. Reed? What's that, that, uh, clicking noise from in there? Well, it's his wire recorder. He left it running. Uh, these machines cost a lot of money. Doesn't he care if he uses up his batteries? Oh, where is he? And where's this Reed? Maybe they're upstairs. Uh, Smith? Hey. Anybody home? They must have walked to the highway and taken the bus. Well, you wouldn't have left these machines. Well, where are they, then? Where are they? Now, now, don't get excited, Mr. Thorpe. Don't tell me not to get excited. If something's happened to them in my house, I'm liable. Well, you try this side. I'll try that one. All right. Uh, Smith. Hey, Smiley. Smith. Smith. Oh. McDonald, come here. So what? What is... Oh. No. Reed. Doctor Reed. No, no, don't touch him, Mr. Thorpe. You get your hands off. Look. Blood. Is he dead? I can still feel his pulse. We better get him to hospital fast.
Care for the gar, Mr. Thorpe? No, no, thanks. Well, why not try to relax? The nurse said Reed would be all right as soon as he's had a blood transfusion. You told the radio station to be sure and call us as soon as they had any word about Smith? Yes, I told them. Uh, why don't you sit down? No, I'm all at sixes and sevens. What do you suppose happened out there last night? Well, we're going to know in just a second, just as soon as I can get the recorder set up. You don't suppose Smith and Reed got into a fight, do you? Yeah, there. Huh? A fight? I don't know. Well, what's wrong? Won't it work? Yeah, it works. Uh, take it easy. One, two, three. Testing. One, two, three. There. Testing. One, two, three. All set, Dr. Reed? Miss McDonald? Hey? Okay, here we go. <clears throat> this is Smiley Smith speaking. Smiley Smith, the ghost hunter. I don't know whether to hope this will turn out to be a success for the sake of the program or a failure for my own sake. Anyway, all the preparations have been made now, and it's up to the spooks. I better tell you where we are. Right now, we're standing on the lawn of a house about 12 miles above Malibu Beach. The ocean is 100 feet away, straight down. The house is perched on a cliff, and there's a sheer drop of about 100 feet right into the old Pacific. Maybe you can hear the surf pounding. I'll turn up the volume. Hear it? Now, I'm going to have you meet two gentlemen who are here with me. Incidentally, we're the only people around for miles and miles. First, I'd like you to meet Dr. Clarence Reed of the British and American Psychical Research Guild. Dr. Reed is a famous investigator of uh, psychic phenomena, and I'm very honored to be associated with him on this ghost hunt. He's smiling in an embarrassed sort of way. You're much too kind, Mr. Smith. Dr. Reed has conducted experiments in this field with such great believers in spiritualism as Oliver Lodge and Arthur Conan Doyle. He looks a bit like Santa Claus. He's short and stocky. You don't object, do you, Dr. Reed? Hmm? <laughs> no, 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 indeed. And he has a magnificent white beard, a truly great beaver. Dr. Reed is so enthusiastic about ghost hunting that he got out of a sick bed this evening to be with us. <laughs> Excuse me. My lungs. Mm -hmm. I was uh, gassed in the First World War. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Dr. Reed and I are here on the lawn looking at the house. Can't see much. It's around, oh, 11 p.m. now. Seems to be a rambling sort of house, two stories high. Since it was built, there have been four suicides here. Is that right? Uh, that's right. Now, in, into the mic, please. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> four suicides since 1939. I better tell them who you are so they won't think you're a ghost. Huh? Standing with the doc and me is a real estate agent, Mr. Charles McDonald. He handles his property, and he can tell you a lot more about it than I can. Well, the house was built by a man named Marcus, Toby Marcus, an orange grower. Built the house as a wedding present for his wife. Month after they moved in, she took her own life. On the day of her funeral, he committed suicide the same way. There have been two other cases since then, and did, I... Did said, they all uh, jump into the ocean? Yeah, yeah, all four of them, right over there. Well. The last one was actually seen doing it about three years ago. He was seen running like all get out the edge of the cliff, and he was shouting and laughing and yelling as though there was people at his side running right along with him. You kidding? That's huh, fact. He was laughing and yelling and running, and when he got to the edge, right over there, he jumped and never came above water. As good an argument against cold baths as ever I've heard. <laughs> uh, since then, people just refuse to live in this house. Silly, I call it. Anyway, if you and Dr. Reed find any sign of a spook, I'll advise the owner to pull the house down and rebuild. But if you don't find anything, I'm hoping this will convince folks that here's a real buy. Yeah, okay, Mr. Smith, you and the doctor are on your own. I'll be by in the morning to pick you up around 11. Goodbye, Miss McDonald. I hope yes. there's something left for you to pick up in the morning. <laughs> well, it's almost pitch black, folks, and I guess Dr. Reed and I ought to begin. I don't believe in ghosts, never have, but what I say is this. If you're dead set on looking for them, this is a dandy place to do it. So long! Mr. McDonald just checked out. 
And then there were two. Well, three. Hmm? Oh, my dog, yeah. Uh, folks, I have my dog, Jeff, with me. He's a wire-haired terrier, three years of age, and he can talk. Yeah, say hello, Jeff. Come on, Jeff, say hello. Come on. Well, anyway, he's a wire-haired terrier, and he's three years old. Uh, shall we go inside now, Dr. Reed? I was about to suggest it. Now, uh, how do we hunt ghosts, Doctor? How do we do it, huh? Well, we don't really hunt them. If there should be any in the house, they will come to us. How cozy. And please, not ghosts. Do not refer to them as ghosts. We know them as apparitions. Now, remember, I've no desire to hurt their feelings. Where ghosts are concerned, I say live and let live. Well, we've opened the front door now. Maybe you heard the hinge squeak a little. Now we're standing here looking in. Can't see much. Smells sort of musty and damp. But... What's the matter, Jeff? What's the matter, boy? Jeff. Oh, come on now. Come on. My dog seems to object to entering this house. He has all four feet braced and he's straining against the leash. Perhaps he senses something we don't. Like apparitions, maybe? Perhaps. It's not unusual. Animals lack the veneer of sophistication we humans possess. And are more sensitive to such an initial. Yeah, come on, Jeff. Now, stop this nonsense. He probably smells a mouse or a rat or something. Come on, Jeff. We're going in whether you like it or not. Well, there's a short entrance hall, and over there at the end of it is a flight of stairs leading to the second floor. Jeff! And uh, over here at the left is what seems to be a large reception room. We're entering this large room now. There are windows over there, French windows. And through them I can see the ocean. The electricity hasn't been turned on, so all I have to see by is a flashlight. Not a very powerful one at that. Dr. Reed is now adjusting his walkie-talkie. It's hooked up to my recorder so that he can cut in while he's hunting and tell us what he's found. Here's a few words from Doc before he sets forth on his investigation through the house. Ladies and gentlemen, <coughs> excuse me, uh, Mr. Smith has introduced me as a ghost hunter. He spoke, I think, in a spirit of skepticism and, and levity. I'd like to assure you all that my purposes here are serious. I have spent my entire life seeking reliable proof of the appearances of apparitions. Have you ever seen any, ever? I have seen phenomena which lead me to believe in the possibility of their existence, although I have never seen any. I account myself sensitive to the evidence of their existence. This house, for example, affects me profoundly. It doesn't seem to affect you in the same way. I'm not too happy about all this, if that's what you mean. You are not psychic and therefore not sensitive to these matters as I am. I imagine the question in the minds of those of you listening to us is, shall we find apparitions? I don't know. But I feel they are here and that they are evil. I sense danger. I shall soon know. Dr. Reed's leaving the room now to make a tour of the house. First thing I'm going to do is open the windows and let some fresh air in. Ah, feels better already. Cooler, anyway. I know that. Ow! What was... A bat, a bat, a bat just flew, flew into the room. I, I think it's a bat, not a bird. I didn't actually see it, just its, it's shadow as it fanned my face. There it is again. It touched me as it passed. Oh, oh, oh. Jeff, 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 come back here. Jeff, you fool dog, come back here. Dr. Reed. Dr. Reed. For suspense, Autolite is bringing you Mr. Ralph Edwards in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense.
snap out of it. Huh? Oh, oh, uh, I'm reading a letter about the new Wide Gap Autolite Resistor spark plug, Pat. Oh? It's from Mrs. Clark Perry right here in Hollywood. She says, our 1948 station wagon has given constant trouble. Finally, the garage man said all the difficulty was spark plugs, and he installed a set of Autolite Resistor spark plugs. Now the car runs beautifully. The very first time my husband has been really pleased. Well, smart garage man. Smart people to take his advice. Half, you know, as more and more people learn about wide gap, auto light resistor spark plugs, and how they make an engine idle smoother, give better performance on leaner gas mixtures, actually save on gas, why then more people will replace old, worn out, narrow gap spark plugs with sensational new wide gap auto light resistor spark plugs. Any more letters like that, Harlow? Plenty, half, plenty. Why, here's another one from New York City. Oh, uh, read it to me later, Harlow. We haven't time because here's suspense. And now, Autolite brings back to our Hollywood soundstage Ralph Edwards as Smiley Smith in Ghost Hunt, a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. Dr. Reed! Dr. Reed! Dr. Reed! Reed speaking. What is it, Smith? Uh, Jeff has run off. My dog, he, he jumped through the window and ran off. Oh, so? I told you he sent something about this house, didn't I? Yeah, you want to come and see if you can determine what it was exactly that set him off? Uh, soon. I'm making my way slowly up the stairs toward the second floor now. I'm halfway up. I'll be down with you soon. <laughs> Folks, my dog's run away. You probably heard him howling. He jumped through the window and took off. Never did anything like that before. Frightened by the bat, I guess. Personally, alone here in this big room, I can understand how he must have felt. This isn't a cheerful spot by any means. I may not be psychic, but I sure have a feeling this house doesn't want us here. Please, Gain. <coughs> Excuse me. I have something of great interest to report. I'm now standing in an alcove on the second floor trying to recover my breath. As I reached the head of the stairs, I felt what I think is a definite psychic manifestation. I felt suddenly as though I had been punched in the solar plexus. That's the only way I can describe it. At the same time, I began to perspire. Uh, my head is still swimming slightly, uh, and I have difficulty in swallowing. My pulse rate is around 110 in a minute. The sense of evil is very strong. I feel very, uh, what shall I say, profoundly depressed. You want me up there? Uh, no, I prefer to remain up here alone. The presence of a disbeliever such as you might interfere with my investigation. Folks, I'd like you to get a picture of... What it's like here. Very quiet, for one thing. I've never been in such a quiet place. And it's pretty dark. No light except my flashlight. Tell you what, you go now and douse all the lights you have on. Go ahead, put out the lights, and that'll give you a clearer feeling of how it is here with me. Go ahead, put out the lights. Hey, did, did you hear that? <laughs> Real estate agent told me I'd probably hear rats and mice in the walls. Well, I can certainly hear them now. Even you can hear them, I think. It's as though... Dr. Reed speaking. I've been working my way toward the front room, the one directly above the one in which Mr. Smith is now. The vibrations have become stronger and more and more pronounced as I approach it. I think I am on the verge of an important discovery. Important discovery? Did you get that? Now I can hear Dr. Reed moving about in the room above. I don't suppose you can. Have a try anyway, huh? Hear him? I hope he finishes his investigation soon because... Quite frankly, I'd like to get out of here. I can well imagine people becoming unhinged in this place. Right now, I find myself pretty jumpy. Not being very brave, am I? 
being alone in this room down here. This desert, this, this darned old house. It's, it's a very, I mean, you know, the atmosphere. It's so very... I wish only to make this hurried report before continuing with the investigation in this room. I have carefully sounded out all the parts in this room, and the emanations are most strong from what appears to be a closet, before which I am now standing. As soon as I open the door to this closet, I will have, I think, a thing of great interest to communicate. I find no key to the lock, and so I will attempt to remove the hinges with my penknife, and I will tell you what I find when I open it. I'll tell you what it would cost to get me to open that door. In the basement at Fort... There's that bat again. It seems to like me the way it keeps... Each time it passes, it touches my face or my neck with its wings. <laughs> Smelly things, bats. I don't suppose they bathe very often, if at all. I wonder how... Get the way you bat! That bat'll be the death of me! Yeah, it's like a jingle, isn't it? Bat'll be the death of me, the death of me, the death of me, bat'll be the death of me. It isn't far from London, no, isn't the way it goes. It's uh, come down to Kew um, in lilac time, in lilac time, in lilac time. Come down to Kew in lilac time, it isn't far... Well, I haven't thought of that since I was a kid in grammar school. Yeah, I had a lonely childhood when you come right down to it. I mean, uh, oh, that's my affair, isn't it? Yes, <laughs> it is. Well, it certainly is. I have succeeded in removing the hinges to the door, and I find inside it is not a closet, but much larger. It is, I think, a dressing room. I have not yet been inside, but I am about to enter. Uh, what was I talking about? Uh... Oh, yeah, bats. Well, the bat flying back and forth in this room. It... Did you hear that? Did, did you hear it? Dr. Reed must have knocked something over in the dressing room. A chair, a chair, yeah, a heavy chair by the sound of it. The chair or whatever it was must have fallen right, right over my head. That's the way it sounded. I, I, I can see a small stain forming right on the ceiling, right right over my head. <gasps> Something ran across my foot just a rat, I think it was. I've always hated rats. Most people do, of course. That stain up there bothers me. It, it's gotten so big so soon. I think I'll take a chance and bother Reed and ask him what it is. Dr. Reed... Reed, can you hear me? Are you all right? Hello? Well, he didn't answer. I, I think he's just a little bit deaf. I think so. What do you suppose he's found, huh? I'm afraid this is rather dull for you listeners. I, I'm not finding it so, of course. There. Hey, I, I heard him cough. Did you hear that cough? Hope he's all right. He's, he, he got out of a sick bed to come here this evening, you know. He was gassed in the First World War, and this place is beginning to get on my nerves a wee bit. Just a teensy-weensy bit. <laughs> Reed, speaking, I... Hello? He switched off. That's the bad cough he's got. I feel so lonely. I've been alone so much in my life. Not so much now, of course, but when I was younger, I was alone so much of the time. You know, struggling to get ahead, living in a hall, bedroom, wondering where my next meal was coming from. I get the blues just remembering it. Seem sad, young people having to spend so much time alone. Sad for old people, too, of course. I'm saying, of course, a lot. Of course I am. Hey, that stain on the ceiling, it's grown amazingly. It, it, it's actually beginning to drip. I mean, form bubbles. They'll start dropping soon. Colored bubbles, they seem to be. Odd-shaped stain, like a, a, a body lying on its back with its arms stretched out. <laughs> it's cheerful. <laughs> oh. I'll certainly advise Mr. McDonald to have this place pulled down. I'll go upstairs in a minute or two to see how Dr. Reed's making out. You know, listeners, I, I really believe I'd go completely crazy if I had to stay here much longer. Wears you down. That's exactly what it does. It wears you down. It's so close and musty in here. I feel sort of trapped. Huh. 
Don't know why I said that. That's, that's what they call this place, you know, the death trap. There, what did I tell you? That stain started to drip drop. Drip drop, drip drop, drip drop. Drip. I'll catch the next one in my hand. Like... <laughs> Reed? Dr. Reed! I'm going upstairs now, listeners. I'm, I'm afraid something has happened to Dr. Reed. I'm not kidding. I mean, this is on the level. Which room could it be now? Right? Left? No, right, right. This is it, I think. Well, <laughs> oh, evening, gentlemen. And, and madam, I'm so glad to see you. I, I, I was just aching to see somebody, anybody. I, I've been so lonely, Dom, there. Uh, what have you done with the doctor, huh? I know, I know he's been hurt. See the color of the bubble on my hand? What have you done with him? Make way, please, Della, make way. Well, well this isn't the, the funniest darn thing. <laughs> this can't be Dr. Reed lying here. He didn't have a red beard. Now, don't crowd me, gentlemen. Don't don't crowd me, please. Huh? You want me to go where with you? You want me to do what? Speak up, gentlemen. To the cliffs. Down to the cliffs? You mean right now? <laughs> well, well, all right, if you'll come with me. I don't want to be alone anymore. You will come with me? All of you? All four of you? You too, ma'am? Oh, good. Come on, then. To the cliffs. To the cliffs. To the cliffs. To the cliffs. He jumped over the cliff. He jumped over the cliff. McDonald, he jumped over... Mr. McDonald, Mr. Thorpe, you may come in to see Dr. Reed now. What? Uh-huh. Dr. Reed is conscious. You may see him now. Is, is he able to talk? Just for a few minutes. In here. Come in. Come in, gentlemen. How are you, Dr. Reed? We've been waiting to see you. Yes, and I must apologize, gentlemen. I had a most unfortunate accident. Hemorrhage. Uh, hemorrhage? Yes. My lungs, you know. Now, gentlemen... Hemorrhage? Dr. Reed, what happened in that house? What happened to Smith? We've just been listening to a playback of the recordings you made out there. Smith? Well, isn't he with you? We've just heard the recording, Dr. Reed. Smith jumped over the cliff. Into the ocean. Oh, that poor boy. Dr. Reed, will you please tell us what happened? From what we heard on the recording, there were ghosts in that house. Ghosts? I didn't see any ghosts. But Smith, what about him? If he went over the cliff, it was fear that drove him over. But Gentlemen, I didn't see any ghosts. As for that unfortunate young man... Who can say now what he saw or thought he saw? Thank you, Ralph Edwards, for displaying your versatility by appearing as guest star on Suspense. Say, Harold, that Edwards does everything. Uh-uh, half. No, does. Don't use that word on our Autolite show. Oh, come now, Harlow. I can make you use that word, as you call it. How? <laughs> now, don't you say that Autolite resistor spark plugs make your car engine idle smoother? Yes, but... And your car gives better performance on leaner gas mixtures. Saves gas. Sure does. I mean, do. <laughs> I mean, does. <laughs> Aren't we devils? <laughs> Ralph, you tricked me. Well, anyhow, it does my heart good to tell people that Autolite resistor spark plugs are ignition engineered... 
by Autolite, which makes more than 400 products for cars, trucks, airplanes, and boats in 28 plants from coast to coast. Autolite also makes complete electrical systems for many makes of America's finest cars. Batteries, spark plugs, generators, starting motors, spark plug wire, battery cable, coils, distributors. All ignition engineered to fit together perfectly, work together perfectly because they're a perfect team. The lifeline of your car. So, folks, don't accept electrical parts that are supposed to be as good. Remember, you're right with Autolite. And now here again is Ralph Edwards. I want to thank Tony Leader and his great cast of actors for helping to make my appearance on Suspense a very pleasant consequence. <laughs> like all of you, I'm a great Suspense fan, and I'm looking forward to next week when radio's outstanding theater of thrills brings you Joseph Cotton in The Day I Died, another gripping study in Suspense. Tonight's Suspense play was adapted for radio by Walter Newman from an original story by H.R. Wakefield with music composed by Lucian Morawieck and conducted by Lud Gluskin. The entire production was under the direction of Anton M. Leader. Make it a point to listen next Thursday to Suspense, radio's outstanding theater of thrills. Remember next Thursday, same time here, Joseph Cotton in The Day I Died. You can buy Autolite resistor spark plugs, Autolite stay-full batteries, Autolite electrical parts at your neighborhood Autolite dealers. Switch to Autolite. Good night. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. That's our show for this evening. I want to thank you all for listening. And I know I did promise last week that you would be hearing an original story along with an old-time radio show. But that will be next week. I promise. And remember, you can find me on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash terror1970 or look for me on Instagram at Radio Show Nerd or on Twitter at Radio Show Nerd 1. Again, this is your host, Keith, a.k.a. the Radio Show Nerd, signing off. <laughs>